How many people are ready for God's word? Come on, we can do a lot better than that. How many people are ready for God's word? Well, it is April. It is April. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, it's April. That means the snow is almost gone. That means the warmer weather is coming. That means summer is coming. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And uh, I'm just so glad that you're here today on the first Sunday of April. And we are camping during the month of April in our sermon series that we are simply calling Lies We Believe. I want to start by giving a shout-out welcome to our online audience, people in our city, across the province, across, across the country, and globally around the world that have joined us for this service today. We receive emails all throughout the week how God is reaching people around the world as they are joining in on Sunday mornings. How many people know that the devil is a liar? How many people know that? Come on, you know he's a liar? He doesn't speak truth. It is not his native language. John chapter 8 verse 44 tells us that he actually is the father of lies. There are different voices trying to speak into your life, but one of the strong voices, but not the strongest voice, is the devil. And he wants to speak words to you. He wants to get you to believe his lies. He wants you to feel it and then begin to believe it. And one of the strongest lies that the devil throws at followers of Jesus is you are a failure. Have you ever felt like a failure before? I have. I've had moments in my journey where I felt like a failure. Maybe you feel like a failure in what you do in life and your work, or maybe you feel like a failure as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa. And, and here's the deal with, with, with feeling like a failure. It moves from a verb to a noun. That's what the devil wants. I mean, the verb is, I, I failed. But the noun is, I am a failure. You see, the devil wants to take failure as a point of reference, and he wants to twist it and turn it to become your place of residence, where you live in a place where you, I'm a failure. And it begins to define you and shape you, and it begins to bleed into all areas of your life. And everyone in this auditorium, at some time or other, and often will feel these horrible, difficult feelings of failure. But I remind you, the devil is a liar, and we want to expose the truth of God's word to the lies of the devil. So I want you to pull out your sermon notes. They are on the back of your bulletin. And I want you to turn with me to an interesting passage of scripture today found in the gospel of Luke. And we're going to look this morning at the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. Now, you might know this, that the book called Luke was written by a guy called Luke, and Luke was a physician, and he was a real detailed person. And we're going to discover today that Luke shared thoughts about this story that Matthew didn't share and Mark didn't share, because Luke is a detailist, and we're going to learn some powerful truths on how to overcome those feelings of failure so I want you to look at Luke chapter 5. I want to pick it up in verse number 1. And I, I want to read to you the first two verses. And I, I just want to shape the story for us. And then I want to quickly give you seven brief thoughts that I believe are going to challenge you and encourage you. So if you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, could you shout the word ready? One, two, three, ready. Look at verse number 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him 
and listening to the word of God. Now, our scripture tells us that they were gathered at this lake called Gennesaret. Now, that's one name of it. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, and it's also called the Sea of Galilee. And there were many fishermen that fished in the Sea of Galilee. And one of these fishermen was a guy named Simon Peter. And Simon Peter lived in a town, a village called Capernaum. And Capernaum was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And in our text, Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. And he's standing there. And he really drew a crowd. Wherever Jesus was, a crowd came to him. And I want you to picture a lot of people gathering around Jesus and pressing into Jesus as he's gathering on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and they were there listening to the word of God. I've often wondered, what did Jesus say as he was there at the Sea of Galilee? Well, we know that Luke says they were listening to the word of God, which teaches me that Jesus was sharing the word of God and he was probably sharing some Old Testament scriptures as the people were pressing in and gathering around. Let's come to verse two. He saw at the water's edge two boats. I've often wondered, why not one boat? Why not three boats? Oh, come on, why not 99 boats? How come two boats? I'm going to give you the answer. In that day, if you were a fisherman, you never fished alone. You would always have a group of people that joined you. And we learn in our text that, that Peter had some, some partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And we learn that they had some companions and, and workers that joined along them. But fishermen always fished with two boats. I'll tell you why. Because they would tie a net from one side of the boat to the other boat and they would go way out in the water and they would they would drag the net through the water to catch the fish and you needed two boats to catch the fish and so they would tie a net from one end one end of a boat to the other end of another boat they say that boats in those days were about 27 feet long and they were about 7 feet wide and, and they were made of wood and, and, and fishermen, fishermen, fishermen would only, for the most part, get ready for this fish at night. Have you ever wondered why, why would they fish at night and not fish during the day? I'll tell you why. Because at night, at night, it was a better opportunity for them to, to, to catch fish. Nighttime was the best time for fishermen to catch fish. And our text says that he saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by the fishermen who were washing, washing, washing their nets. Washing their nets. I'm told that fishermen would fish all night. Now, if you were a fisherman... In those days, there was three characteristics that were really big about you, and you really needed to have these characteristics. Number one, if you're going to fish in those days, you need to have a lot of patience. Anybody here a little weak on the patient side? Don't lift up your hand. If you want patience, just ask God for patience. He'll give you patience. Patience. No, number two, fishermen in those days not only needed lots of patience, they honestly had to get ready to work Really, really, really hard. I mean, after they would fish all night before they would go 
back to their place of residence to sleep, they had hours of more work to do. Because when they got back from fishing, they had to take their nets. And they, they had to clean their nets. And they had to get all the, the slime and the gut the guts and the, of the fish and, the, and, and the, the guck from the ocean and the seaweed, and they had to clean it out. And it was a long, tedious job. And often their nets were torn and ripped, and they'd have to, they'd have to sew their nets back to proper order. And it took a lot of work to do that, hours. And then they would lay their nets out in the sun to dry. I mean, after they worked all night trying to catch fish, and they bring their boats to the shore. They had to clean their nets, wash their nets. They had, to, they, had to, they had to get rid of the debris. And they had to dry out their nets. So after fishing all night, they would spend the morning, probably till noon hour, preparing their nets for the next night. Now we know from our text that Peter and the boys fished all night and caught no fish. Now I'm not a big fisherman. I've done some fishing. And my wife comes from Newfoundland, and so her brothers have taken me fishing, and there's a lot of stories I could tell you about that. But if you're a fisherman, you know this is true, that a bad day fishing is much better than a good day at the office. Am I right, guys, that fish? But I think in our text, it wasn't a good day. They had fished all night and caught nothing. Now, it wasn't recreational fishing. It was their livelihood. I mean, I mean, when they would catch the fish, they would, they, would, they would catch the fish and they would put the fish into baskets and, and they would take the fish into Capernaum and they would sell them to the local market and it was their way of making money. Now think about it for a moment. They had fished all night and caught nothing. That's like you working an eight-hour shift and not getting paid a penny. I think that Peter and the boys felt like a failure, a big failure. I mean, they're fishermen. I mean, they should know what they're doing. I mean, they should catch some fish, but they, they had fished all night, and they caught no fish. And in verse 2, Jesus sees at the water edge these two boats that were left there, left there by the fishermen. I mean, they left their boats. They're discouraged, and they're sitting there, and they're washing their nets, and they're trying to, trying to absorb the fact that they've had a rough day, and they had fished all night, and they caught nothing, and they're feeling like a failure, and they're beginning to believe like they're a failure. I want to give you seven quick things, and I want you to write these in your notes. When you feel like a failure, the first thing I really believe you need to do, number one, is let Jesus take control. Let Jesus get into your boat. Let Jesus get into your boat. Let Jesus take control. Please, look at verse number three. Here's Jesus. He's at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is gathering around them, and they're listening to the word of God, and Jesus sees these two boats. And in verse three says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I study the pages of God's word, I ask a lot of questions. And my first question was, why? Why, if there's two boats, did he get into Simon's boat and not the other boat? And my next question was, who owned the other boat? 
Now, I can't prove this to you, but I think the other boat was owned by his partners, James and John. I'm just suggesting that. But the question I've got for you today is why, why, why did Jesus get into Peter's boat and why not into James and John's boat? I know you might say it's a fluke. It's a coincidence. It's an accident. But how many people know there's no coincidence or accidents in the kingdom of God? Jesus always does things with purpose in mind. Do you believe that today? He got into Simon's boat. I, I'm going to tell you why I think in just a moment, but, but, but I want you to notice this. Luke, who's the detailist, doesn't tell us that Jesus asked Peter, can I get into your boat? I mean, wouldn't that be the plate thing? Uh, can I get into your boat? The Bible doesn't say that Jesus asked Peter to get into the boat. So I got another question. Did Peter and Jesus already know each other? Let me give you the answer. Yes. How do I know that? Because in chapter 4, verse 38, and in verse 39, we learn that Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the house of Simon because Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they had asked Jesus to help her. I mean, I mean, Simon had asked Jesus to come to his house. Why? Because his mama-in-law had a high fever. So Jesus goes over and he bends over her and he rebukes the fever and the fever left her and his mama-in-law got up at once and began to wait on them. How many people are glad that Jesus still does miracles. He healed the mother-in-law. So Peter and Jesus knew each other. And Jesus sees the two boats and he gets into the boat that was Peter's. Not John's. Not James. I think the reason is because Jesus knew that Peter throughout his life was going to struggle with feelings of feeling like he was a failure. I can prove that. Fast forward. Jesus, it's now the time of the crucifixion. And Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. You know the story. Do you know him? No, I don't know who he is. I mean, a little servant girl. Do you know Jesus? I don't know who you're talking about. He denied Jesus three times. And then the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at him. And Peter felt like a failure. And Jesus restored him. I want you to know that one of the disciples that Jesus had called really struggled with feelings of failure. I think the reason why Jesus got into Simon's boat is because he knew that Simon was going to struggle. Simon Peter was going to struggle a lot with failure. No, note this, note this. Please, please, please look at verse 3 again. I hope it's on the screen. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Now, I, I, had to, I had to study those words, put out. I mean, what does put out mean? Does that, does that mean that, that Peter got behind the boat after Jesus was in it and pushed the boat out of the water? No, no. It actually means that he began to row the boat. So, <laughs> I don't know if you're catching this this morning, but you need to get it. 
Because it's so key to our text that when, when Jesus went and got into the boat that belonged to Simon Peter, he, he asked Simon Peter to row him out a little bit from the shore. And the only way for Simon Peter to, to row Jesus out a little bit from the shore was for Simon Peter to get into the boat. And now the boat's not big. That means that, that, means that Simon Peter was getting pretty close to Jesus. That means that that means that Simon Peter allowed Jesus to get into his boat. But but there's more. There's more. I don't want you to miss it. Please look at verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And I want you to picture Simon Peter rowing the boat a little bit out from the shore. Then it says he sat down. You ever wondered why Jesus didn't stay standing in a boat? Well, I know. If you're in a boat that's small, it's safer to sit than it is to stand. But there's more to it. Sitting was the position of a rabbi in those days that was about to teach. It was the posture of teaching. So why, 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 why did Jesus get into the boat and, and Simon, row me out a little bit because the crowd was pressing into him and Jesus needed to get in a better position. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And it took Simon Peter to express a little bit of obedience for the next step. But it, it needed Simon Peter to let Jesus take control of his boat. Now, now, don't miss it. Many of you have got boats. But I mean, it's a boat. But the boat to Simon Peter was everything. I mean, boats were costly in those days. And, and, and the boat was his business. I mean, I mean, if he didn't have a boat, he couldn't be a fisherman. I mean, his boat meant everything to him. His boat represented his livelihood. I mean, it represented his income. It represented his life. It represented everything that marked who he was. Because Simon Peter was a guy. He often found his identity in what he did. But how many people know Jesus doesn't want us to find our identity in what we do? He he wants us to find our identity in who we are in Jesus Christ. And Jesus got into the boat and took control and said, row me out a bit. And he sat down and he began to teach the people from the boat. Friends, if you want to overcome feelings of failure, please let Jesus take control. And then there's number two. Number two. Listen to the Word of God. I mean, there's a lot of voices you can listen to, but you need to frame your thoughts by the Word of God. Here's how it goes. I mean, you feel like a failure, and the devil breathes lies into your head, and you begin to believe that those lies are true. But, 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 but how many people know that we need not to listen to the lies of the devil, but we need to start listening to the truth of God's Word? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder when Jesus was in the boat, if he started to teach scriptures from Jeremiah that God has a future and a plan for you, not to harm you, but to prosper for you. I wonder when Jesus was in the boat, if he spoke from the book of Psalm, that 
teaches us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know what he taught, but I know this. I need to, and you need to frame your thoughts, not by the words of the devil, but by the truth of God's word. Come on, somebody give a little praise. According to God's word. Now, now look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking. <laughs> I read that and I thought, okay, what was he speaking? Well, we got the answer in our text. He was speaking, according to verse 1, the word of God. And, and how was he speaking the word of God? We've got the answer in verse number 3. He taught the people from the word of God. He was speaking the word of God and he was teaching the word of God. What we don't know is how long, how long did he speak? I don't know if it was an hour or two hours, or five minutes, or ten minutes, but I know this, he spoke as long as he needed to for the people to hear what he needed to say. And I want to challenge you today to please listen to the Word of God. Let the Word of God shape what you believe. Then it's number three. Take Jesus' Word by faith, not by feelings. (laughs) I've shared this so many times, and it kind of drives the point home. It's like the man who, it's Sunday morning, and he didn't want to go to church. And his wife says, get up. We're going to church. I don't want to go to church. Get up, sweetheart. We're going to church. I don't want to go to church. He said, you just give me reasons why I should get up and go to church today. And she said, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, you're 40 years old. And number two, you're the pastor of the church. I was a young minister. I was 22 years old. I mean, I was single. Evelyn had not said yes to me yet to marry her. And I'm pastoring a small town north of London, Ontario, Goddard, 7,500 people. I'm their first assistant pastor. They'd never had one before. And in those days when you're an assistant pastor, I ran junior high, senior high, young adults. I ran all these ministries. I was having so much fun. And I was young. And my best friend that I grew up with had moved to my town and he was working at a grocery store. My best friend that I grew up with, he's there and he bought this big old house and the big old house had a, had a kitchen and you'd lift up this trap door and you'd walk down these stairs. I mean, that was the only way to get to the basement and it was a basement that was only four feet high and it was all rocks. And those were the days in the 80s where overseas, in in places like Russia, I mean, they had their underground services. And they wouldn't let anybody know that they're having church. So I'm 22 years old, and I had a bright idea, I thought it was, to have my underground service with my young people. And I'm going to learn a Russian accent, and I'm going to get them the feeling of what it's like to have church when, 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 when the law won't let you. And so I had a guy ready to dress up like a policeman, and he's going to break into the service, and he's going he's to pretend that he's the, he's the soldiers coming in and, and breaking up. I, I planned it out, and this was going to work well. It could have not gone any more bad than it went. I packed the church bus with 50 young people, and it only sat 44 people. And there's 50 young people on the bus, and I blindfolded all of them because I didn't want them to know where they're going. That was my first mistake. This is a retirement town. 
and all these seniors are driving around, and there's this lady and her husband driving, and they drive by a bus with 50 young people with blindfolds over their eyes. They thought those young people were being hijacked. So they called the police. I didn't know that. I got the young people to the house and they're blindfolded and I got them down the stairs and, and, and they're, they're huddled in this. I mean, they have to walk like this because it's only four feet high and they're all sitting down in this crowded little room and I had all these candles. No, that's my second mistake. I had live fire. And I got the candles lit up and we're sitting there and I take off their blindfolds and the youth are like, whoa, oh. And then putting on my Russian accent. This one guy, his mom had made him this beautiful wool sweater. It's brand new. And I'm teaching from the word of God in my Russian accent. And he got too close to one of the candles. And he literally went up in flames. So here he is. His brand new sweater's on fire. I jumped on him, right? Stop, drop, and roll, right? I got the fire out. And now I'm, I'm like, I just got the fire out. This isn't going good. And now I'm ready for my friend who's dressed up like a police officer to come in. Boy, was I ever shocked. There was four real police officers <laughs> giving me a lecture, telling me in front of my youth what I shouldn't have done. I wanted to say to those youth, don't tell your parents what I just did. But they did. I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure. I was ready to resign. I'm 22 years old. I'm single. I thought, how dumb can I be? Well, you don't know me. I can do a lot worse than that. (laughs) Thomas Edison created the light bulb. It took him 10,000 tries to create a light bulb. And then finally, he created the light bulb. And you might like, wow, it took the guy 10,000 times. What kind of a failure is he? He said, I don't call it failure. I call it education. And then he says, I've learned 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. I want you to look at your notes again, please. Number three, take Jesus' word by faith, not feeling. Feeling will mess you up. Oh, please, 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 just for a moment. Look at the latter part of verse 4 into verse 5. I mean, after Jesus had finished speaking, he said something to Simon, who's in the boat. He said, put out into deep water. It's interesting that the Greek word that he used for put out is the same Greek word that he had used in verse number 3 when he said put out a little from shore, which tells me that it wasn't him just pushing the boat, it was him rowing the boat. He said put out into deep water. Now the sea of Galilee 
was like this big lake. And, and fishermen in those days, I only gave you two reasons you thought I forgot, didn't you? I said there was three reasons why, why it'd be tough to be a fisherman. And the first reason why it'd be tough to be a fisherman is because you need a lot of patience. And the second reason is because it's a lot of work. But there's a third reason that I've been waiting to tell you. Because the Sea of Galilee was known to have wild storms. And the wind would come in unexpected. And, and it would rock the boat, and, and, and it would be hardship after hardship. And, and here is Simon Peter and the boys. They had fished all night, and everybody who was a fisherman knew that you don't fish in the day, you fish at night. The best time to fish is at night. And Jesus, now it's daytime, and they're washing their nets. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts going through Peter's mind like, that doesn't make sense. I don't feel like doing this. I've worked all night, and I'm tired, and I've just washed my nets. I want to go to bed. But Simon answered him in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I want to encourage you to take Jesus' word by faith, not by feeling. Please don't live your life by feelings because feelings will lead you astray. Feelings come and go, but the word of God stands forever. Come on, church. The word of God stands forever. So the guy's sweater is burnt, and the police had given me a lecture, and now I'm called into my senior pastor's office, and I thought, I'm done. And he looked at me and he said, Mark, what can we learn from this situation? I said, oh, sir, lots. Lots. And we talked it through. And he said, you know, probably not one of your best moves. I said, definitely not. Definitely not. It won't happen again, sir. He said, but I want you to know what just happened doesn't mean that ministry is over. You need to hear me because some people think failure is fatal and final. And some people think that failure, that moment, defines you. An event might be failure, but Jesus is the one who defines you. Jesus defines you. Take Jesus' word by faith. Now, let's pick it up, number four. I couldn't wait to share with you number four. Here it is. God, please hear me, has created you for success not failure. Did you hear me? I I don't think you heard me. God has created you for success, not failure. I mean, God didn't one day say, hmm, I think I want to create Mark Scar to fail because the world needs a failure. So let me create Mark Scar. That's not how God works. Who wants you to be a failure is the devil. But God has created you not for failure, but for success. I want to read verse number six. Oh, I love this verse. I love it. Let me read it. When they had done so, they, I I thought he just told Simon Peter to, no, no. Simon Peter had some partners. Simon Peter had had some companions. Simon Peter had some helpers. When, When they had done so, they had lowered the net 
they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I really believe that God wants you and I to walk not in failure, but to walk in success. He wants you to take your failure and move forward and move away from it and realize that that failure is not final. Failure is not fatal. That Jesus has created you not for failure, but for success. Somebody, somebody say amen. God has created you for success, not failure. Then there's number five. I, I almost missed this truth. Help one another. Oh, Mark, what are you, where are you going with this one? Look at verse seven. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Here it is. Simon Peter is in the boat, (laughs) and he probably had tied the net to the other boat that was owned by James and John, and and, and it's filled with fish, and it's nighttime, and because it's nighttime, I'm caught up in the net, give me a second here, and because it's nighttime, they would have torches to light the night. And it says in our text, don't, don't, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come. What, what was the signal? Hey guys, come help us. No, if you're a fisherman, never talk loudly, you will scare the fish. They say in the original Greek, and I studied it, it was a nod. It says they nodded to their partners. And I'm picturing Simon Peter holding the torch and he's trying to get the fish into the basket. And there's so many fish that the net is breaking. And he's holding the torch and he gives the boys the nod. And they came to help. If you're struggling, don't struggle alone. Give someone the nod and ask them to come and help you. I don't want anybody to walk the Christian journey alone. How many people believe we need to be there for each other? I said, how many people believe? We're running a race, and someone falls, and we might go, great, they fell, now I can win the race. What God wants us to do is stop, pick the person up, and help one another. Oh, but Mark, in our text, it w- I, mean, I mean, they got lots of fish, and now they're helping in success. I think we need to celebrate and help in success, but I think we need to help in times of failure as well. Help one another. And then there's number six. Walk in humility at all times. Please look at verse eight, verse nine, and verse 10. Our text says when Simon Peter saw this, I mean, wow, 
he sees the nets breaking, and they're putting the fish into the boats, and both boats are so full that they're beginning to sink. I mean, they caught so many fish that it was net breaking and boat sinking. And he, instead of going, yay, good day, we caught lots of fish, he's in the boat, and Jesus is in the boat. And he drops to his knees. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I think the King James says, depart from me because I'm wicked. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. Look at verse 10. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Simon's partners, Simon Peter, took the lead to fall on his knees as an expression of humility. Charles Spurgeon preached a message on this one prayer that Simon Peter had prayed. And Charles Spurgeon teaches us that why he did this, number one, because he was a man. Number two, because he saw himself as a sinful man. And number three, because he saw himself as a man and a sinful man, he became a humble man. And I felt God saying to me, to say to you and I, let's not ever walk in pride, but let's always walk in humility, leaning in on Jesus. Walk in humility. And then there's number seven. I've saved the best to the last. And I want you to write this in your notes. Rather than letting failure define you, allow it to refine you and possibly even redefine you. (laughs) Failure, the devil wants it to define you. But God wants it to refine you. And not just refine you. He wants to redefine you. Please don't miss it. Look at verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, into verse 11. Simon Peter has fallen at the feet of Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. And all his partners saw that happen. But then Jesus said something else to Simon. Simon's still in the boat. And Jesus is in the boat with Jesus. Jesus is in the boat with Simon. How many people know you're in good hands when Jesus is in your boat? And he's down on his knees, and he just had said, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Ha. <laughs> So verse 11, they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. Jesus turned what Simon thought as failure into a relaunching into what God had for him in the days ahead. Look this way. The devil has breathed into some of you failure. You're a failure. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You're not a good grandparent. You're not a, you're not a good worker. You're not, you're failure. You're failure. I, I've got a word for you today. Rebuke the lie of the devil in the name of Jesus. 
Do not let that event define you. Let Jesus refine you and let let him then redefine you. Here's what I believe God wants me to say in this house today. What you thought was failure and fatal is, I believe, is just an event. And now Jesus wants to take you into something better and greater and bigger. (laughs) Jesus has got so much more for you than you can ever imagine. And I want to speak in this house today and invite you to never listen to the lies of the devil, but listen to the truth of God's Word. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate the Lord. I want to invite you to stand with me. Every head is bowed. Everyone's eyes are closed. I want to invite the band to come back up. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, there are two things that I really feel prompted to ask this morning. And the first thing is this. If today was the day that you died and you stepped into eternity, Do you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? The truth of the matter is God has created all of us for all eternity. And the question is, where will you spend eternity? God so loved you that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus so loved you that he died on the cross for you. The truth is Christianity is a personal relationship with God. And I feel God wants me to say it loud and clear in this place. God loves you so much. And I feel in my heart that there's some of you standing here today, you're like, Mark, you don't know me. I'm such a mess up. I've done so much. How can this God of love forgive me? Hear me. God is here today, and he wants to forgive you. And he wants you to step into a personal relationship with him. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and you're standing here today and you're like, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I want to be ready for heaven. I want Christ to be the center of my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you would like to be included and led in a prayer to ask Christ to be the center of your life and come into your life, I'm going to invite you to lift your hand and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to know that heaven is real. And God wants a relationship with you. And if you have never made your peace with God through Jesus Christ, but you would like to, and you want to step into that new relationship, or maybe you did it one time, but you turned your back on God, but today you want to settle it. And you want to be sure that you're ready for heaven. After I count to three, just lift your hand, then you can put your hand down, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And after a count of three, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, I want to invite you to lift your hand. One, two, three. That's you. Yeah. Yeah, God bless you. Put your hands down. You lifted your hand. I want to lead you in this prayer. And we're going to join you as you pray. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Today, today I have decided, I have decided to, follow Jesus. to follow Jesus. Today, today I make my peace with you. I make my peace with you. Today, today I confess you as my Savior, as my, Savior my, Lord. my Lord. 
I pray this now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Open your eyes. Celebrate salvation. Come on, celebrate salvation. There's a number of people that gave their heart to Jesus this morning. If that's you, on your way out, go to the follow wall. There's some friendly people there. If you don't own a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. It's free. we got a little booklet that we can give you. It's free. And we want to help you in your new faith journey. Number two, look this way. We're going to do something this morning. I'm waiting for this. You know what we're going to do together? We're going to lift our voice and say, I am not a failure. You know why we're going to do that? Because the devil is breathing over people's lives today that you're a failure. But, but we're going to declare truth based on the word of God. I am not a failure. How many people believe that? I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. I don't want you, but I'm, I'm glad. I had a pastor that says, it's okay, we'll buy him another sweater. It's okay, we'll bring donuts to the police. They'll get over it. It's okay, we'll get a meeting with the parents. We'll get through this, Mark. How many people are glad that that moment didn't define me? I'm glad. Honestly. I could tell you many times where the devil's tried to tell me I'm a failure. But I'm not a failure. I'm a child of God. I'm not a failure. I'm a child of God. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. You're a child of God Almighty. So here's the first thing. I'm not a failure. Come on. Can you lift your voice and say it? You ready? Come on. Don't whisper it. I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. You ready? One, two, three. I'm not a failure. Now we got, we got a couple with this. I am a child of God. I didn't count to three. You ready? One, two, three. I am a child of God. Come on, say it again. I am a child of God. Church, hear me today. Failure is not final or fatal. It's just an event. Don't find your identity in what's happened. Find your identity in who you are in Christ. I'm a child of the living God. He's got plans to prosper me and bless me. I wasn't created for failure. I was created for success. So before you go, I thought the Lord say to me at the final point of this message, say this to the house, that we need to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds and frame it by the Word of the living God. And I want to challenge the house to get into the Word and let the Word of God frame your thoughts. And when the devil breathes these lies, don't believe them. You speak the truth of the living God. How many people are glad I'm not a failure? I'm a child of God. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate His name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want the altar workers, those with badges, to come and stand at the front and be ready because after I pray, there might be those in this church that want to come forward for prayer for whatever reason. And we're going to have a team of altar workers ready for you. So come on forward, altar workers. And I'm just going to pray. And Pastor Brad, lead us, lead us in the song. 
and, and after, after we've sung this song, if you need to go, go with God's grace and God's blessing. And If you want prayer, feel free to come forward. Tonight's the annual business meeting. I hope you can come. It's going to be fun. It's not going to be long, but it's going to be fun. And I hope you can come. 5.30, we got lots of desserts and, and, and beverages here. And meeting at 6, we've got child care. And we should be here for about an hour to an hour and a half tops. And I, I hope you can come. So God, I thank you for this incredible church. I love these people. But greater than my love is your love for them. And I pray that when we walk out, we would not believe the lie of the devil. I'm a failure. We believe the truth of you, God, that we're a child of the living God. I pray, God, that failure would not define us, but God, it would refine us and redefine us. I pray in the name of God that failure would never be a place of residence that we live in, but just a point of reference that we learn from. And I pray that we would be propelled forward with our heads lifted high, cover our minds, and may we only listen to the truth of God's word. Bless these wonderful people. Give us a great day. In Jesus' name, everybody shout it. Amen. Come on, Pastor, lead us in a song. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for.